Welcome, everyone. We are here to uh, do what little groups like this have done literally for thousands of years. So I want you to zoom out from your usual routine, if you will. Each of us are in circumstances that fill our minds, and that's obviously totally normal. But every now and then, if we want to, we can, I call it zooming out, we can kind of set everything on the shelf, knowing you're coming back to it, and just kind of take a, take a special moment to uh, consider bigger things. So in this moment, consider that we are in the company of unbelievable numbers of people, the extreme vast majority of which you've never heard of, but we have this in common. We have some belief that drives us to the cross, to a gathering like this, to a Good Friday moment. So think about that big picture. Imagine you are with many, many, many people across time and across cultures and across distance. And tonight we're actually going to look at, uh, it's, it's Good Friday. So it's one of those times when it's like completely appropriate to look at death, kind of square in the face if we're able to, and also at some deep mystery and beauty that somehow got intertwined with the death of Jesus. And uh, so I'll leave you with those thoughts. We're going to go to a song. And we think of the whole human race. Most of us probably usually think of those who are alive right now. That's all of us. Till you lose somebody really close to you, and in those moments, it doesn't feel like all of us anymore. There is a basic, central Christian belief that is absolute craziness, I guess, if you don't believe it. It seems like absolute craziness. And that is that Jesus died, and somehow that death raises the dead. And I want to unpack that a little bit. Most Good Friday services focus on the death of Jesus on the cross, and uh, people may not put it this way, but sort of the feelings of the loss of Jesus that follows that. He's died, and so we think about his early disciples being without him and what that must have been like. And all these years later, we know that Easter's coming, 
So it's really different for us. We know what that commemorates. Uh, but we stop and we ponder the death. Tonight I want to look at the death, but go to include a scripture that we usually don't, that's really all about life. Before we do that, I would like us to share communion together because the story of Jesus's Holy Week experience that ended in the cross on Good Friday started the night before, on Thursday, what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus had a pretty clear picture of what was happening to him. And he had kind of hinted and even said some very direct things to his disciples about that he was going to his death. And like many of us, that was so unthinkable and so much the worst case imaginable, the worst imaginable scenario, they didn't comfortably receive that. They were very resistant to the idea and constantly looking for ways to make that not happen. Uh, but Jesus had a clear picture. And when he took the bread in his hands and broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out, which is a, we're used to it because of religious imagery. But in raw form, that is a horrible and horrifying idea. A broken body and poured out blood is not something we want to ponder for very long. Uh, he said, that's what this is. And then he took it way further and said, I want you to drink this and eat it. I want you to participate in me. I want to take this body of Christ that's one individual and I want you to consume it so that that body of Christ goes into you and becomes many individuals. So whenever you're ready, we're going to have some, just some music, and this is a continued time of meditation. Uh, get up as couples, families, individuals, doesn't matter. But come to, the, come to the table. We'll take five minutes, more, whatever you need, uh, and get a piece of the bread and dip it into the cup. And think about the stories that started on Thursday night and whether you want to participate. And we'll call that a, we'll call that a yes, I'm participating with Jesus. Uh, so when you're ready, if you'd like, just at your own pace, the table. There was a prophet named Isaiah who prophesied things about Sometimes kind of a seemingly mysterious person, it's hard to know who he was talking about. Sometimes it was clearly the promised Hebrew Messiah. But you look at what he wrote and then you look at the life of Jesus 
and it's amazing. He was seeing something so specifically long before it occurred. And so from, from the prophet Isaiah, talking about someone, he wrote, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. How deep the Father's love for us. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. How deep the Father's love for us. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. How deep the Father's love Beyond all measure. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. 
for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Please sing with us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his How great the pain of searing loss The Father turns his face away As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory Be
So that Friday afternoon, we're going to go through part of a story from the biblical narrative. Jesus, bef Jesus stood before Governor Pilate, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? This was the accusation of the religious leaders, as you probably know. They thought that was blasphemy and a horrible thing to say, unless it was true, which they didn't consider. You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, meaning Jesus. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Backing up to the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before this, from that passage I read, he poured his life out unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So think of Barabbas as a transgressor. And it's playing out before our eyes with this one individual. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, called the Messiah? Pilate asked, and they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, apparently he's not trying to kill Jesus. It's the religious people, which, go figure. He saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head, making him look like a mock king. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. 
After they had mocked him, they took the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. To, cruci uh, to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, which is a painkiller. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, something Jesus had said, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who, crucified, who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, sounds like the story is winding down. It's not. It's actually just beginning. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Which is where we normally stop. But I'm going to keep reading. At that moment, the temple was, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split and tombs broke open. Remember all those pictures? Countless people have been buried under crosses across the world. If I said something amazing has happened, in one of those cemeteries that the graves broke open and a bunch of people came out, that would be crazy. 
You might be courteous or you might call me crazy. You'd respond however you'd respond. But most of us would think that's crazy. And tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, but this is still Friday when this started, and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Okay, what's the worst thing about being a human being? The worst. It's so bad we don't think of it. We'll go through a whole list before we get to it, oftentimes. But it's the worst. What do most of us fear more than anything else? Pain? What else? Death. Apparently being a human means you have to die. How many people like that idea? If somebody does like that idea, we might think something's wrong with them. Something might be. It genuinely feels wrong in a deep, deep way to a healthy, sane mind. It feels wrong. Really? All of us die. Most of the human race has already passed on. Well, like, depending on how you count it. Yet, if I said people have come out of their graves, people you might genuinely miss, people you long for and wish you could see, you'd still think it was crazy. We Christians, for those who want to join me in this little thought, have kind of a crazy thing going on. And we know it. We read verses like this and we think, Well, it's in the Bible. It's true. I think it's absolutely true. Back to Isaiah. I love that guy. Don't know him. Wouldn't recognize him if I saw him. But I love that guy because I so respect his foresight and insight and Sight. Uh, in chapter 42 of Isaiah's prophecies, he wrote, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. This is a prophecy as if God is speaking. And it goes on. It's too much to read. It goes on and on. And then way down the page, it says, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind and to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Now, I don't know what happens to us when we die necessarily in specifics. All over the world, there are many people who are alive that are in very different circumstances. So I suppose when we die, there could be many very different circumstances. I don't know that, just makes sense to me. But we say things like dungeon 
and those who sit in darkness, when we describe the dead, because we can't see them. From, from the position we're sitting in, they're gone. They're just gone, which is what we hate about it. Because what do we love more than anything? What do we want more than anything? I know we scare each other a bit, but we want each other more than anything. Most people want closeness and to be known and to know someone else. Way up on the list of desires. Opposite end of the spectrum from sitting alone in a dungeon with the place of the dead or whatever dark poetry you want to put on it. When Jesus was, before he died, uh, he went into the synagogue one day, the Jewish place of worship, and he asked for the scroll of Isaiah to be brought to him, and he read from chapter 61. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where he stopped. Now Isaiah went on, and the tune changes a little bit. Isaiah said to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. and some other really beautiful stuff. But I notice, as my brother was good to point out earlier today, that's where Jesus stopped. The year of the Lord's favor. Now when Jesus talks about freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners, I suppose it's conventional wisdom to think he means oppressed people and people who are imprisoned who shouldn't be, uh, like we see in our world. And I think that that applies completely. But I think Jesus is aware of something much, much deeper. Because he doesn't just know what's happening on Friday, he knows what's happening on Sunday. And this is Friday, and we're not going to Sunday yet, though we will. But it's on Friday that the scripture says, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know how we talk about the veil? The curtain, or many translations say veil the veil of the temple. There was this huge, thick curtain, this veil between the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go and the rest of the world. And it covered it. And it tore. But we also use the word veil with the realm of the spirit. Have you ever heard someone talk about like, maybe they're very near death or something mysterious is happening and they say the veil is very thin they sense something beyond the usual five senses. And we talk about a veil in that way. What if that veil tore 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The, the way, the truth, the life. Now, Christians are kind of famous for emphasizing the way. Jesus is the way. You've got to believe in Jesus, right? What if we put that same fervor to the word life? He's the life. Well, if you're looking at something with life, you're looking at him. I am the life. So what happens when the life dies? I'm not sure. But it might look like something like the veil tearing between heaven and earth and shaking and rock splitting and tombs opening and people coming out of the grave. Just a thought. It says that there. It's an extremely weird passage, right? So back to the beginning when I said, zoom out a little bit from your normal circumstances and imagine yourself sitting with multitude of people from the past. Think about people you've lost. What if the very nature of the gospel and the nature of Jesus isn't just about him. I mean, in one sense, it's all about him, but not when you ask him. It's interesting. He says, it's all about you guys. So I'm all about him, and in the process of believing that and living that way, I discover he is just beyond generous with everything he has, including the way and the truth and the life I'm going to go out on a limb. It's really not that long of a limb, but I think Jesus means to do nothing less than raise the dead, period. The thing we hate the most and fear the most, he walked around in human shoes for a few decades, and he gets it. And he took it full in the face and didn't have to. He proved over and over again, I, I, I'm doing this willingly. I, nobody can overpower me by force. He demonstrated that repeatedly. So this Good Friday, I challenge you to, in your thoughts about the cross, which I know you have because you're here, to go one step further than just remembering Jesus himself and open up yourself to the possibility of what he might have been looking at to cause him to do what he did. What would it mean to go through, back zooming back into our life and our routine and where we were today and where we're going tomorrow and next week, what would it be like to take this epic amazingness that's really 
teetering on crazy. What if you could live with that knowledge? That Jesus means to raise the dead. And he started right then, on Friday, as he died. The life died, and immediately people are set free. Immediately. People are set free. Dead people. And so, as we, as the bread and the wine digest in our systems, think about what we're participating in. Ask God to give you just a slight more faith, and he will, to understand what, in what we participate in the life of Jesus. So God... Thank you for this moment in our journey. Thank you for each person in this room and for the way you so gently and responsibly and, and kindly work with our stories and work with what we can and cannot believe. Give us the ability, the power to give ourselves permission to believe just one more increment of a story larger than we can see. Give us a sense of that in which we participate. I pray that your presence would be felt for each person here in some palpable and understandable way that each of us gets today, tonight, as we go from this place and through tomorrow in this Easter weekend, through Holy Saturday, thank you that there's so much to this story and we just barely scratched the surface. Increase our faith. Increase our courage to attempt to love one another in new ways. Give us good listening ears. Help us to hear God's voice above all and to recognize truth. And go with us now and thank you for Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen.